0: Welcome to Leading Between the Lines, a podcast series by Altanique Inspired Growth, with me, Peter Thorpe, as your host. This series is designed to look at how leaders of all shapes, sizes, and backgrounds are developing their personal leadership skills and the way they lead their teams to function more effectively in this new world. Today, I'm talking to someone who was told as a child she would never walk, but she did. With the determination and resilience shown in those early years, it's no surprise she went on to form a specialist PR company for the construction industry with an all-woman top team. The company has just celebrated its 30th anniversary and has won numerous awards, including outstanding contribution to PR, presented by the IBP, the International Buildings Press, last year. So, to share her view of today's world, I'm delighted to welcome the managing director and founder of Claire PR, Claire Ward. Welcome, Claire.
1: Thank you very much. Peter it doesn't sound like me at all, but thank you very much for the compliments.
0: Well, it's a pretty powerful introduction, isn't it? So, perhaps you give us a whistle-stop tour of how all that happened, Claire.
1: Oh, right. Okay. Well, um, going back to the first bit that you mentioned about me not walking, I had polio when I was a little girl. And I was told by the doctors that I would never walk. And my mother, who brought me up single-handedly, was determined that she wasn't going to have, in her words, a cripple daughter. And she stood me by a tree when I was three years old and said, if you don't follow me, Claire, the bogeyman will come and eat you up and you won't see me again. So she, she instilled fear, but for my good. And that, and of course I, made, I, I did walk, and that determination and the cruel to be kind has led me through my life, through the ups and the downs. And also, I can't let my mother down now, but whatever I do, I can't let her down because she never let me down.
0: Well, that's, that's huge.
1: Well, um, as the Jesuits said, take the first seven years of a child's life and I'll show you the man. And I feel that with anybody, that those young years of anybody's life are very impressive. Um, Obviously, a lot of it is to do also with how how you manage your life thereafter. But I think that those early years determine who you are.
0: Yeah, the first seven years, psychologists will tell you, won't they, that's when it's all set.
1: Absolutely. But then, obviously, it's not just down to that. You have then got to make your decisions and and seize your opportunities. And, you know, life's full of opportunities.
0: So there was a lot of emotional stuff that happened to you then in your really early years.
1: Yes, it was. Yes. And mum always used to say to me, um, follow your dreams and you can't be far wrong. And I went on a holiday with my mother to America and I fell madly in love with it. This is a About when I was about twenty, and I I mentioned about the opportunities um, before, and this was a this is an ideal example of those opportunities. We met um, a couple of girls in a in a bar, and one of them had two children, and she asked me if I would be interested in going to be a nanny um, in her house, which is was in uh, um, Long Beach. So I did. And from there, I spent four years in America and I started off as the nanny and I became, after four years, one of the leading private investigators in L.A. Now you're going to ask me, how on earth did I do that? And I was totally legal. And I worked for the FBI. And I came in and out of England as you would eat Donny mixtures. (laughs) Because, you see, my dream was that I loved. Um, travel and I loved America I loved it very much and um, opportunities kept coming my way you know I'd see a little ad in a paper for a typist and I thought oh I can do typing I'll go into that and I would um, be interviewed not knowing what the job was that threw everything in and then of course I realized it was a private investigating agency and they needed a typist for the typing pool and within two years, I became one of the investigators. I thought, well, I'm not just going to type the reports, I want to be in, in
0: the report. So, what did you learn from being a private investigator then?
1: Well, when I answered the ad, it was for two um, ex FBI um, gentlemen, and they'd set up a, 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 a sort of um, gumshoe operation in LA near the airport, and they needed typers in a typing pool. So, of course, with my accent, Great opportunity to um, serve what they call over their subpoenas, RIT. So they started hiring me to serve these writs and getting places where they couldn't get to because of my English accent. And then from there, uh, I was successful in, in serving these RIPs or these subpoenas. And then they sort of slowly trained me up to follow people. And some of the most wonderful people I followed were people like Brian Wilson from the Beach Boys and Dinah Ross's sister. So, yeah, it was really interesting. It was great. It was really good. yeah, so, but you see, what I'm trying to say is that you you follow your dream and your dream becomes reality. And I think everybody has to believe in themselves. They've got to be confident, and this is where the 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 first seven years of the child's life comes in. You know, my mother believed in me. she loved me. She told me she loved me. These are all very, very important things that for a little, little person to take on board and, and, and remember for the rest of the life. And so basically the, the rest is history on the And then I came back from America and then obviously set up uh, my business.
0: You're quoted as saying that your mum gave me good old-fashioned values and respect and she gave me confidence. What are good old-fashioned values and respect then to you, Claire?
1: Not letting people down. Be honest. Compromise. All of these things that I wrote them down when I was a little girl. And you know, I've still got that piece of paper now. And she said that, you know, one of the most beautiful words in the English literature is to compromise and to, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for now? Uh, Just uh, basically meet people halfway. Um, Be kind, be caring. You know, even with this COVID, I've seen a lot of people so selfish in this last few months with this COVID. You know, we've all got to work together and to, um, you know, to make, uh, well, to make make the world a healthy place. And I think that there are so many now people who are self-centered and not respectful. Respect is a very, very deep, powerful word. And, you know, it all encompasses everything. It even encompasses that in my business. Um, I've had clients that don't respect me, and I really don't want to work for people like that. I've had other people who do respect me, and they've been with me for 20-odd years. So that's a very powerful word, Peter.
0: Well, yes, it is indeed. So you chose to set up a PR company in a male-dominated industry. That seems to me like you almost were looking for the biggest challenge at the time that you could get.
1: No. No, not at all. I, first of all, I didn't set it up as an all-female agency. I set it up as, an, a, as a PR agency that attracted, now dare I say this, tongue-in-cheek, able-bodied, organized typists. Now, I couldn't get any males like that. So it was default that I, they were all female. I did have some male um, employees. But, you know, with PR, PR is a very organized business and you have to be quick witted. I'm not saying that men aren't, please (laughs) don't think I am. But, um, you know, it's very sort of uh, fast moving, fast paced, organized business. And I think that one of the attributes that women have is that they're very organized and they prioritize things and they can do 10 things at once. So it wasn't because um, I'm I'm a feminist. I'm not a feminist. But I do believe that men have certain strengths, women have other strengths. And for PR, to me, it's a, women, it's a woman's profession.
0: So on a personal basis, I know you're married. How do you get on with your husband then? How, how do the two of you dovetail together?
1: I think you should ask him that.
0: Well, we should have had him on, shouldn't we? <laughs> yes,
1: yes. Do you know, I, I was a late developer because I never thought I'd get married. I didn't think any man had put up with me, to be quite honest. And I met Keith, who is the complete and utter opposite from myself. He is a very placid, very peaceful, very caring person. And I met him when I was 50. Within six months, we were engaged. And within a year, we were married. Neither of us have married before. Neither of us have got children. So it works perfectly. And, you know, I, again, getting back to that word respect, I respect Keith much we've known each other now for what 10 years and it's as fresh the relationship now as it was 10 years ago and that is also bringing back the values peter that we mentioned before in relation personal relationships as well as business
0: and that's the point i'm really trying to get at which you beautifully answered because lots of people talk about how they do stuff at work and i spend my life talking to people about that but what is really interesting to people listening to this is how it works for you outside of work. Because effectively, you're the same person outside of work as you are inside work.
1: Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Can I just add, there's a big, big uh, thing I've not mentioned here, which is now lacking, in my opinion, in today's business and personal life. And that is one little word, and that is fun. People aren't laughing anymore. People aren't making jokes as they used to. You know, uh, years ago in PR, I would um, go to the pub on a Friday night with loads of people, have a chat. A lot of business was done then as well. But we laughed, we joked inside business. You know, we had a really good time. You know, I'm leaving um, the office, I'm relocating the office at the moment. And I've come across a lot of photographs that we've taken over the last 31 years. And every photograph that I've come across, there are people laughing. There are people having a lovely time. And every five years, we've always had a big party for our anniversary. Now, that, that I think, in business is a, is a big plus. To laugh, you know, and to joke and even laugh at yourself sometimes. <laughs> um, and I think that's all missing now. People too serious. Why is that then? Um... Well, uh, this is going to get on a bit political now, but uh, I think we are developing big time a snowflake society. And I think people are very, very worried about saying the wrong thing. And other people are wanting to do the right thing, whatever the right thing might be. And they're too serious about it. They're not laughing at themselves. And I think that we've bred this. And I think it's over the last 20 years we've done this. I've seen a, I have seen a, a difference in my business and attitude to my business over, I would say, the last 12 years.
0: Don't you think that's down to the people at the top? If you've got an MD of a company who's prepared to laugh at themselves, I think laughing at yourself is a really relevant comment you made there, Claire, but then it filters down. And that's about the culture of a company. And I'm guessing the people that work for you, how many have you got in your team?
1: Four of us, five of us, including me.
0: I'm guessing they all laugh at themselves and they laugh at you. Shall
1: I tell you, the common denominator for us, and the girls will tell you, is humour. We always have a laugh. And, do you know, I, I, well, I, I, I say to them, don't, you know, we, obviously everything's remote now, but I say to them, you know, what once a week we've got to have a good belly laugh, and we do. Even when, even when we go through tough times, and we have gone through tough times, We make a joke of it, and we get through it, and we determine, and we plod on.
0: (laughs) And that probably answers the question, how do you get through tough times?
1: Uh, Yes, yes. Well, that's one of the answers, yes. But then if you're asking me how we've got through, and we have had tough times, of course we have. Um, I mean, COVID has knocked us for sick, but you have to keep going. And you have to look for other opportunities, and this is what we've done in our business. You know, uh, we are a like a, a press agency, but we also offer other within that sort of um, PR agency definition. We offer other services. So obviously, social media has now come on big. So we 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 do a lot now with social media. So it's finding other opportunities and um, extending the. Uh, the stakeholder mix as well, which we have. So we specialise in construction and civil engineering, but there are other parts of the building environment that we're now um, uh, going into. So there's lots of different ways to have. Remember, I've been through three recessions. So this is, this is not new to me.
0: No, it's not. And I'm guessing the recruitment of your team is really important to you because one thing that you've said is, and I quote you here having people on the team who are unhappy can inhibit productivity and even damage reputation. So talk, talk to me about that, if you would.
1: I will do, yes. So um, in the year 2000, which was 20 years ago, um, I had a very, very bad time. My mother passed away. And of course, as you probably know now, I was very, very close to my, my mother. And I had just moved into Rosely Manor. So this place was in a in a, a derelict state. So I was doing a sort of half a million pound refurb. And of course, my mother had died as well. And I had at the time 10 members of staff. And they all were obviously we'd just moved into the office, and every everybody was doing their own bit and everything was going well and whatever. And I had two members on. Uh, on the on the team that were quite disruptive and they um I didn't really know them well and I I'd, I'd, I'd recruited them but not really knowing them and didn't do I, I trusted people I, that's another thing I trust 100%. So they told me what their their CVs were wonderful and whatever. And when I came back from the hospital the day my mother died um these two girls had said to me that they weren't happy and I said Look, you know, if you're not happy, don't worry, just um we'll find another job for you and I'll help you. Oh, they said, we've already uh, we already know what we're doing. We're going to um leave you and take six of your clients. Wow. And they did. And I told them to go. And not only that, I got rid of a lot of them.
0: And I started again. I'm guessing that was a real pivotal point for you.
1: Yeah, so that's That then introduced, and I was one of the very first, I'm sure, to say, uh, that introduced me to remote working consultants because I had been let down. You see, Peter, I trust people. I'm not saying I was the best boss in the world, but I was very fair. You know, we used to go for parties and uh, at Christmas we'd go away for, for holidays and whatever. So I gave a lot, and I wanted. Yes, I wanted my pound of flesh, and I wanted. And I'm, I'm, I, I am a taskmaster, <laughs> um, and they let me down, and they let me down for the last time. And I thought I don't want any more full-time staff. I would rather have consultants who are hungry, who uh, maybe cost more, which they did, but that was okay because I got my pound of flesh. So. Uh, by sheer luck, and again, what is luck? You make your own luck, don't you, with your opportunities. Um, I met um, one member of my staff that's still with me, and another one five years later. And we have been together for years and years. So, yeah, so, that, so, that, so that's why I met then and now this remote is ideal for me because we all um, have our own dedicated responsibilities. We never let each other down. We respect one another, even in this COVID uh, situation. You know, uh, uh, there's never been an, uh, any, any threat to anybody's job. We've just carried on. I can't let them down. They've not let me down, so I can't let them down. <laughs> and this is where I think a lot of bosses uh, fail. They are selfish. They, are, they think of their self and their business. They're not looking at it as a family concern. And for smaller businesses, it's a lot, it's a lot um, more, uh, you can do that a lot more. But and I, and I haven't got a big business, so I can't comment on the big, the big, the big cheeses. But for a small business, it is imperative that you all um, trust one another, and you don't let each other down.
0: You say on one of your blogs on a personal level, that you've nothing to prove. What did you mean by that, Claire?
1: Well, I think that if um, a person is honest and I mean truly honest and doesn't have any um conscience in terms of um regretting anything that they've done, then they can sleep with their head on the pillow at night comfortably. And I can, I'm not saying you know it comes across as a, I'm an all do gooder, but I'm not. I mean, obviously, I do you know I make mistakes and I um. Aren't as kind sometimes as I want to be, but I true, truly believe that if you um, do unto others that you want done unto you, you can live peacefully inside yourself.
0: Absolutely. So after 30 years of creating and developing and running a hugely successful business, what's next for you?
1: Ah, right. <laughs> okay. Well, um, I said to you that we're moving um, both our home and our office and we are going into a completely different environment Um, and what I hope to do now is carry on with the business because I love it we've got some good really good clients we've got some nice clients you know we've got um, I mentioned before about um, enjoying what you're doing and also working with nice like-minded people and you know we're very lucky saying we're very lucky but we are because the business is at the level that I want it to be I don't want to grow the business uh, um, hugely um, because my um, you know (laughs) I'm in my 60s now so I'm not as um, energetic as I was in my 30s but I still love every day waking up and looking to see if we've had a published article and getting excited and jumping up and down. So do the girls as well. So we're over our, over our, our remotes every Tuesday and Thursday. Oh, I've got another article. And, you know, that is invaluable. And I would like to say to anybody that's um, starting a business or that's in a business that doesn't that is, enjoy it, that you've got to love what you're doing. You've got to have 100%. This morning, I took the dog a walk and I met the most delightful lady. And she said to me, I thought, oh, I'm going to mention this on the, on the recording. Fill your heart. Don't do a job that is half-heartedly done. And my heart fills with PR. But I also you know, want to look at other things as well. Um, I fancy myself as a Pilates instructor, so I'm just about to embark on that as well. <laughs>
0: You spoke to me previously when we had a chat before this interview about wanting to give back.
1: Yes. So about three or four years ago, um, we—I was thinking I've been so lucky and so fortunate to love what I'm doing, to um, you know, earn a bit of a profit on doing it, and you know, some of people out there aren't as fortunate as me. So I um, became. Um, a trustee of an academy um, uh, called Forwarders One, and I'm not that active at the moment because of the move, but um, I, it's a primary school academy with about 12 schools in it now. When I first joined, there were two schools, so we've grown it quite considerably. So I do um, get involved with that when I can. And I also um, was uh, run a, now this sounds funny now, I know um, an afternoon tea for the elderly. And it's a charity called uh, Contact the Elderly. So every month, not now because of COVID, but for the past sort of five or six years, um, once a month on a Sunday afternoon, um, I get a group of drivers and they pick these uh, single ladies and gentlemen up and they come and have afternoon tea. And I thought, well, this this is, it's not just, it's not working out as well as I wanted it, what I wanted. So I said to them, what we're going to do, we're going to do a tay dance instead. And all these little old ladies and little gentlemen said, oh, great. So now we have a little dancing as well. So, you know, it's it's a great um, opportunity for me to speak to all the people that can teach me and also giving something back. So that's what I meant about giving something back.
0: What about the younger generation? Because it just strikes me that the younger generation, school kids, and I mean secondary school, not only the primary school age that you're already involved with, could really do with a dose of what's happened to you in your life.
1: Yeah, yeah. One of the things that you asked me, what's my next stage now in life? Well, one of the things I want to do, Peter, is I'd like to do talks to young people in schools. I've no idea how to set that up or how to start, but I will do. Um, and that's something else I want to give back. I would love to do that. I'd love to to share my experiences in the hope that they could learn something.
0: To just end up with, can I ask you, what's the one personal attribute that you've got that you believe has stood you in best stead throughout your life so far?
1: Me personally or me giving somebody that? Or
0: you personally.
1: Um, drive and enthusiasm.
0: Well, what a wonderful point to end this interview, because I've just been subject, as the listener has, to the most incredible dose of drive and enthusiasm over the last half hour. It's been an absolute privilege and delight to talk to you. Thank you so much. Claire Ward.
1: Thank you. Thank you.
0: If you've enjoyed today's episode and are interested in seeing and listening to more of our content, please do follow us on our LinkedIn profile where you'll find more industry related material and articles. We'll be back next week with another episode and look forward to you joining us then.